anybody have any idea where the clicker is? Things you don't think to look for before Christmas morning. Back there? No. Well, um, Ralph, I guess you'll have to just follow along. Um, I'll try to, I'll try to point and you try to, and it, we'll just keep pointing. How's that? All right. Light for all nations. God's mercy continues. God's mercy in the book of Luke so far is being ex is being revealed in ever expanding circles um, to various groups of people. And so just to kind of illustrate that and show that to those of you who haven't been along with us for the entire journey, let me quickly kind of walk you through uh, what that's kind of looked like. In Luke chapter 1, you begin by seeing God's mercy, mercy come to Zechariah. And if you remember Zechariah and his wife, they're elderly, they have no children, and God comes to them and says, hey, God's mercy is upon you now, you're going to have a son. And in fact, God's mercy is coming to the entire nation, and he doubts God's mercy, and he's like, how do I know this? What's the sign? Uh, you would think that you know an angel coming to him in the temple and telling him this would be a sign enough, but no, he asks for a sign, and God says, well, you're not going to get a sign, and in fact, you're going to be mute and deaf until the baby comes and you name him John. So God's mercy really is kind of very limited in the scope of who knows about it, right? Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. God's mercy is then revealed to Elizabeth. Apparently he goes home and he must somehow communicate or write on a tablet and she reads it. She finds out about God's mercy, but what does she do? She responds to the news by remaining indoors for five months. God's mercy really isn't something that's broadly known. God's mercy then comes to Mary and she is told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And she responds by to go be with Elizabeth for three months. Once again, God's mercy isn't something that's becoming widely known. It's, it's really in a very small circle of people that this message of God's mercy is being made known to. God's mercy then is revealed in the birth of John. And as John is born, the, the community around Zechariah and Elizabeth rejoice. And they're telling other people, and you see it expanding and going forth, and people are learning about God's mercy and how it's coming to this family. You then see God's mercy come to the shepherds. And what do the shepherds do? They do the same thing that Zechariah and Elizabeth's neighbors do. As God's mercy is told to them, they go, and as they go, and as they come, what are they doing? They're telling others, hey, have you heard about God's mercy and God's goodness? The fact that he's bringing peace to our group of people in our day and age? And, and now, in this text that we're going to be looking at, God's mercy is now going to go to Jerusalem. And the people who have been worshiping faithfully, who have been longing for and anticipating the Messiah coming, and God demonstrating his mercy, are going to hear that God is indeed doing exactly what he has said he will do. And so, if you go to the, the theme slide... <coughs> The theme of the passage, I believe, is that God wants us to receive God's mercy in Christ. He is the light for all people. So we're going to receive God's mercy. As um, let's let's take a 
couple of seconds here to read through the text. We'll start in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, and we'll read through verse 40. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken to him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Also, and the thoughts of many hearts that the thoughts of many that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about eighty-four years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. And spoke to him of all to, and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. As the text begins, uh, you see that Jesus is dedicated, and He's dedicated specifically to the Lord. Um, in the next slide, you'll see Mary and Joseph pursue excellence, and they pursue obedience to the Lord in every way. And so you see them uh, pursuing obedience, and they're they're doing this to demonstrate that Jesus is who he says he is, and that uh, he is rightly to be worshipped. He's rightly to be uh, praised and adored because he is who he says he is. And so they come and they do what they're supposed to do. But even, I think, more important, the text is demonstrating the fact that he's in submission to God's plan. They are demonstrating a submission and obedience to God's plan as it has been revealed to them. And God's plan for Christ will be fulfilled then. And so he is coming and he's being dedicated to God's plan. What is God's plan for Christ? God's ultimate plan for Christ is that he is going to be the redeemer of Israel. And so the tradition, the pattern of all Jewish males was that they would dedicate the firstborn to the Lord. 
And so Christ is dedicated to glory. And, and he's dedicated so that we know what he has said will happen about him and to him and through him will actually take place. And so you can look through and you can see uh, the prophecy was made that the Messiah will come and he has come. The prophecy is made that he will ultimately bear the penalties, the sins of the nation. And as we think about the fact that he's been dedicated to the Lord and that he will then fulfill the plan of the Lord, he's going to bear humanity's sins. He will die on the cross, and then he will raise triumphantly from the dead. See, God's plan is going to take place. Why? Because he's dedicated to the Lord. From his very beginning, even as a human, he's being offered up to the Lord. Ultimately, then, God's plan is to have Christ be the central and pinnacle demonstration of his mercy. He's going to be dedicated to the extent that he's actually going to be killed for your sins and for my sins. And so God is dedicated to ensuring that our greatest need is cared for. He does that through Jesus Christ. Your greatest need, my greatest need, is not more presents. Anastasia received a few presents this morning, and then my sister drove by and dropped off a present like five minutes before we were walking out the door. And Anastasia looks at me, she goes, is anybody else coming to give me more presents? <laughs> no! <laughs> Nobody else is coming here to give you more presents. So you're not allowed to bring any more presents or else you'll be We'll be going against what I said. That's not our greatest need, though, right? Definitely not. Our greatest need is we are sinners. And we're separated from God. And we need that relationship to be restored. And God is dedicated to seeing that take place. The text moves on, and you see the receptions of various people. First of all, you see Jesus' reception by Simeon. Simeon sees the Christ child, and Simeon represents the faithful Israelites who worship and anticipate the coming of the Messiah. The text describes Simeon in a number of phrases and words that help us to know who he is. Look with me in verse 25 and following, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Just take a, a moment to focus upon the many things that are said about him that demonstrate that he is faithful. And he's not the only faithful Israelite. There are numerous faithful Israelites that have been looking for, they've been studying the scriptures, they know that there's a Messiah coming, that they know that the way that Israel is currently functioning is not how God intended them to function. And they're looking for something more. The text describes him as righteous or as just. He's pursuing obedience to the Lord. He's devout. He was faithful in approaching the Lord and worshiping the Lord. He was looking forward to Israel's consolation. He knew that his ultimate hope wasn't found in the sacrificial system, but rather that pointed to something that was far greater that was yet 
to come. It's interesting, uh, the Holy Spirit is upon him. That's very unique because um, Luke has made a big deal about this. Zechariah is now the, the sixth individual in the Gospel of Luke to have this said about them. You have Zechariah, you have Elizabeth, you have Mary, you have John, you have Jesus, and now Simeon is said to have the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is working in him, and he is faithful, and he represents them, and he's representing this desire, this anticipation for the Messiah, this deep longing. And so, so he's anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit then prompts him to enter into the temple. It's interesting. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes up, and then just a little bit later, in verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple to do for him according to the custom of the law. See, the Holy Spirit then reveals to him what is going to be taking place? The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the baby, Jesus, is the long-anticipated Messiah. The text doesn't explicitly say that, but the text does tell us that the, the Holy Spirit is the one who led him or caused him to go into the temple. And then he sees the child. And so the Messiah allows us to die in peace. Notice that's... that's one of the pinnacle ideas of Simeon. If you remember, the, the Lord has promised him that he will not die until he sees the Christ child. And so he comes and he sees the Christ. And notice what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's interesting, he, he connects the same ideas that actually is connected in the previous section of the story. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, you have this pronouncement of peace is coming to those with whom God finds favor. Why? Because he's Jesus. He's the Savior. He's the one who brings salvation. And now you have Simeon here. He finds the child. The Holy Spirit somehow prompts him to go to the temple and to worship. And somehow the Holy Spirit prompts him and tells him, Hey, that child right there is the child you've been anticipating. You've been looking forward to finding. He is the Messiah. He's the one that all Israel has been longing for. And he goes and he picks up that child and he says, You are letting me depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Why does he have peace? Because ultimately he knows that the Messiah will care for the sins of the nation. That means his sins will be cared for. He has salvation from the Messiah. He also knows that the problems that they have nationally will ultimately one day be cared for by the Messiah. Now, it doesn't happen for at least another 2,000 years, but he knows it's going to happen. He says, as a result of the hope that the Messiah brings, I can die in peace. So it builds on the information that the shepherds have given us, and God gives us peace. Why? Because he is our salvation. 
And so you and I can rejoice just like Simeon. Slightly different, as you haven't been given a promise that you'll see the Messiah before you die. But the same hope that fills him as he sees the Messiah is the same hope that you and I have. We have peace with God. And death doesn't have to be something that's frightening because we know that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he came and he lived among us. He died for our sins. He was buried and he was risen again. And we place our faith in him and no other. But the Messiah is also not exclusive. Rather, he's for all people, both Jews and Gentiles. Notice as he continues, he says, you know, it sounds like it's a very inclusive, very individual message. Like, hey, I, I have this peace. I can die because he's salvation for me. That's almost how it sounds at the first part, right? It sounds very, very exclusive. It's Simeon's hope. But notice as he continues, that's not his idea at all. Rather, he says it's very, something that's very inclusive. which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring, Gentile, to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You know, the previous idea, as, I, as I've already said, kind of makes the gospel sound something exclusive. But as you focus upon this section, he's saying that this is something that's for all people. God's mercy, as he's been showing it, expanding, ever-widening, concentric circles, is something that now includes not only the whole nation of Israel. That's impressive in and of itself. That God would be willing to come and show mercy to the nation of Israel as they rebelled against him time and time again, and as they lived in defiance to him. God's willing to take, take them back to offer them his mercy. But the Gentiles who have lived apart from God and who have not even tried to feign a true belief and a true worship of the Lord, Simeon says God is willing to show his mercy to them. You see how the mercy of God is continuing to grow in its scope. And those who are going to be recipients of it grow ever wider. And primary way that God shows his mercy is not by giving barren women children. It's not by giving old people children. The primary, most important way that God has shown his mercy is by giving his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came because you and I were separated from God. Jesus came because there was no good that you or I could do in our own efforts, in our own abilities, to be reconciled to God. And it's only by an act of God's immense, unmeasurable mercy and grace, through our faith, that you and I are able to be reconciled to God. That we are now children of God. That we are heirs of God. And that we will one day reign with God. That is God's grace upon grace upon grace your life and in my life. But Simeon continues. He's not done. He's, he's you know, begun and he makes his message sound like it's something that's very exclusive and then he 
bursts on the scenes and he tells, no, it's actually for everybody. God's mercy knows no bounds. But he goes on and he actually tells them about the significance of their son. And it amazes Mary and Joseph. Notice as he continues to develop this idea in the following uh, verses, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken to them. And Simeon then blesses them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that which will be spoken against. So Jesus is going to cause the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And then he goes on and he says, Mary is going to be broken because she will misunderstand the Messiah's purposes and The idea is, and it's kind of illustrated even the next story in uh, 41 and following, what happens? They, Jesus has grown up a little bit more. He's not fully grown. He's still very much under his parents at that time. And he goes and, you know, they go to Jerusalem and they worship. And then mom and dad begin to head home. And dad thinks that Jesus is with mom. And mom thinks Jesus is with dad. He's kind of at that middle age where maybe he's with men, maybe he's with women. They stop for the night, and Mary and Joseph meet up, and they're like, Jesus is with you, right? No, Jesus is with you, right? Oh, no. Where's Jesus? And they go back, and, you know, Mary's kind of like, almost kind of chews Jesus out for like, what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you doing this, right? Why? Because she doesn't understand. And he's saying the same thing is going to happen, but to a far greater extent. When Jesus actually goes to the cross and dies for Mary's sins, it's going to pierce her soul. It's going to hurt because she doesn't fully understand what receiving the mercy of God is going to fully entail. She doesn't understand that. And, and I don't think Simeon fully understands that. But what he's saying is God's mercy is great. It's for everyone, but it's going to be immensely costly. You next see Jesus' reception by Anna. Anna is also represented, uh, the faithful among Israel, but she also shows the faithfulness of God. She demonstrates the inclusive nature of God's message. It's for women, too. One of the themes that you'll see throughout Luke's writing, both in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. We've been looking at the book of Acts. I have not highlighted it probably as much as I should as we've gone through the book of Acts. Um, I'll try to... Um, highlight it going forward a little better. But one of the things he does is he very often gives a parallel account. He'll tell about something that happens to a guy, and then he'll give a very similar story or a similar lesson, but he uses a woman to teach that. And you see that here in Zechariah or in Simeon, and then you see it with Anna. He's teaching the same thing that that there are faithful women. But you also see God's faithfulness in this because. Where is she from? Who is she from? She's a prophetess, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. That's one of the lost tribes. One of the ten northern tribes. And the idea is, God's faithful. God's mercy even extends to the, the tribes that, you know, people aren't sure exactly what happened to their genealogy and where they are exactly. God is faithful. He remembers his people. He knows his people. He cares for his people. And the text highlights her faithfulness as well. It talks about her great age. 
one of the things that struck me as I studied this, I always kind of assumed that she was 84 years old, but it's possible that she was a widow for 84 years, making her like 103 or 104 years old, which is way older. <laughs> Whether or not it's, you know, she served as a widow for 84 years or she was a widow for slightly less than that, the idea is that she faithfully was serving the Lord. But notice as she responds, she praises the Lord for his faithfulness and proclaims to the temple goers that God has provided his redemption in Christ. Look at verse um, 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him uh, of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She probably somehow comes in right in the middle of Simeon's monologue. And then she picks up the praise right where he leaves off. And she's going to people, and you know, nobody says no to a 104-year-old or 84-year-old lady about holding a baby. Like, nobody does that. Right? And so Mary's like, here's the baby. And she's like, this is the Messiah! This is the Perfect demonstration of God's mercy to our people. And she's going and she's praising God. She's thanking God. She's proclaiming that God is indeed who he says he is. He's merciful. He does not forget his people. He's abounding in love. He's abounding in steadfastness. And so Anna then portrays for us a beautiful response to the promise of God's redemption. That's how you and I should respond, to see God's mercy in Christ. We should flow with praise, with thanksgiving, in response to the fact that God has shown us his mercy. But notice the text concludes, and it tells us that Jesus grows up with God's grace. God's plan to bring mercy to all people is followed, and as a result, God is glorified. Notice the text continues in verse 39 through 40. So when they performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You see, Jesus grew up, and God equipped him for his future ministry. Why? Because that's his purpose. And God is going to make sure that his perfect demonstration, his perfect gift to us of mercy and grace will accomplish its purpose. Your redemption and my redemption is set in the person and work of Christ. Why? Because that's God's plan. It will not be broken. And so, as we think about application and what does this mean for us, Christ came to serve you and be offered as your did this so that you and I could be a recipient of his grace and of his mercy. Next, I think that you and I need to rejoice in the faithfulness of the Messiah's promises. Notice that's one of the primary responses of the people here. Zech or Simeon sees the mercy of God and he rejoices in it. He realizes that he does not have to face death with fear. He can face it with Peace, because salvation has come. 
he realizes that this isn't simply something that's true for him, but that it's true for all people. He uses language a number of different times to highlight the fact that it's for all people. The faces of all peoples in verse 31. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The idea is it's all people's joy. It's all people's hope. So you and I should find our hope in this message of Christ. Christ came for you. Christ came for me. There's hope. There's peace in Christ. We also need to remain faithful as we wait for God to accomplish his further you know, there have been hundreds of years at this point where you know there hasn't been prominent ministry of God revealing his will to his people. God's spoken a little bit here and there, perhaps. But God's been very, very quiet in the past couple hundred years in Israel's history. But there were people who were faithfully pursuing obedience and faithfulness to God's word, even as they awaited God to reveal his full plan and to accomplish it. And as you and I go through times where we're stressed out by the circumstances of our family, we're stressed out by the economy, we're stressed out by the difficulties of our workplace, or whatever it is that's stressing you out, those sins that you struggle with because of the difficulties in your home, the difficulties in your workplace, the difficulties that finances bring, the difficulties that you struggle with sin because of different temptations to sin and all sorts of other areas. As you wait for the day when all of this is fully realized, you and I are to pursue faithfulness just like Simeon and Anna do. They're a model for us to follow. They're a model for us to pursue and model our lives after. Pursue faithfulness. Pursue obedience. And then, finally, if you haven't yet believed in the Messiah to receive his abounding mercy, Luke's biggest desire for you, my biggest desire for you is that the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth receiving God's mercy in the form of a baby boy, John being the mercy of God that's shown to the shepherds and the fact that they can have peace even as a, as a group of people that are ostracized and hated by their society they are recipients of God's hope and God's blessing that you too would realize that as a result of Christ's coming because of his death burial and resurrection you too can be a recipient of his hope you too can enjoy his peace Father we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the coming of your son. We pray that as we go today and we rejoice with our families that we would enjoy our time together, but that we would also be sure to take time to rejoice in and to meditate upon who you are and upon your faithfulness. We pray that you would help us to be people who are faithful in the midst of our various uh, difficulties, we pray that you would help us to remember that you provide hope and you provide mercy to all people who are willing to receive it through your Son. In your name we pray.